Greetings and welcome to Under Consultation, the video game television podcast. Now, when we started this new version of Under Consultation, there was that question of, what do we do when it's a five-week month? And we thought, it's fine, we'll have a good chunk of time to work that out. Unfortunately, we forgot it was a leap year, so we actually hit it in our second month, and this episode will be dropping in your ears on the 29th of February... And what better way to celebrate a leap year than being joined by someone who I can comfortably say I've seen leap off of, well, stages at the very least. He is a comedian, a performer, a presenter, a professional troublemaker. He's known by a number of names, including that guy from Australian Idol, The Guardian, Robotron and H.B. Samson. But to most people that will be listening to this, he will likely be known as one John Robertson, one of the hosts of Video Game Nation. John, (laughs) welcome Thanks for your time. No, thank you. What a, what a segue. That's amazing. Also, as you may have noticed, feel free to swear. I will be bleeping it for the free feed, but that's, okay. that's funny. Oh, you gotta, you... People don't know what we're saying. Perfect. Yeah, you got, you got to pay for the obscenity? Yeah. Oh, good. I'm tired of having my content stolen by Pornhub. I want Strictly OnlyFans style. So <laughs> thank you. Um, oh, that, that, was, that was awesome. I've, um, I, ever since I was a boy... I've been like, oh, leap years are so cool. And now I just got tied in with one. I thought that, I thought you were going to do something weirdly cosmic and then it was just nice British wordplay. I love this country. It's a leap year and you leap around a I lot. Do. I do. I prance, I cavort, I crowd surf. I've fallen off a lot of things. You are a health and safety nightmare in your live performances. That is not true. I am, I am highly insured and all is fine. If you've ever read a Terry Pratchett novel... And they talk about how the dwarves have battle bread, right? Just a, a hot tip. If you're going to throw bread at an audience, baguettes, yes. Flatbread, yes. Sourdough, no. There was what we came to refer to as the Great Edinburgh Sourdough Incident at last year's Fringe. And um, there'll be no further discussion of that. I mean, just to skip ahead, I was at your last performance of The Dark Room as of time of recording. And you jumped up on a pair of chairs. Yes. And someone in the audience did just go, be careful. Yes, which was, well, they, they were completely right. That was an audience member who had figured out very correctly that the floor is concrete, the chairs are steel, and I'm doing a show called The Dark Room where the only thing that's lit is a torch in my face, so I can probably see less than anyone else. And I'll tell you something, it was, while they were genuinely trying to be helpful, <laughs> terrifying to hear, <laughs> just had a, be careful. You know, like, okay, all right. It could be concern, it could be a threat, it could be both. Shades of jail. <laughs> Especially you know? because it's a darkened room and it's a concrete floor and it's a steel chair. That's exactly right. Just be careful. Like, what are you in for? You know. You know what I mean? Like, okay, whatever it is, a lot of people got hurt. But yeah, I love jumping off things. My knees are starting to go, but I still enjoy it. So to kick off the interview and to basically... It's a put- very physical theme to do. We had leaping and kicking. Are we going to f*** at some point? It's, it's sounding like masculine flirting's going on. I mean, you are quite a thirst trap when it comes to live performance, you know. It's quite... <laughs> this is the best review I've ever had. I mean, there was that thing the other day. I don't know if any of this will make it into the edit. Okay. Where it was a whole gladiator thing. And it's like, what was your gladiator name? And I didn't see it until late in the day. I didn't respond, but I almost responded with thirst trap. Nice. <laughs> he catches you because you want to touch him thirst trap but other than being a sexy dungeon oh, daddy you. what is a john robertson oh uh john robertson is a 
gamer from the wild suburbs of Perth, Western Australia, uh, who moved to the UK because uh, the UK audience has a really big imagination and a really long history of enjoying gaming and also an even longer history of enjoying weird interactive live comedy. So I, I fit in here well. Like I'm, I'm one of those guys who, where I was from, you could buy copies of the Beano and the Dandy. And me and my friends used to sit around wondering what a chip butty was and things like that, you know, getting copies of Wizard and Chips and being like, what is this football that they mean? Why is the ball round? You know, so I've been fascinated with the UK since I was a boy. And then I started coming over here doing stand up and realized, no, my fascination was well-placed, and now I'm well-placed. I love living here. I find it amazing you say that about the chip putty, because you're the country that gave us the pie floater. Yeah, but that's a joke for tourists. That's a thing. I think my mother has, I mean, she's been alive 70 years, and she's seen it once, and that was an accident. And when she ate it, a disaster. But yeah, like the pie floater, that's a thing in rural Queensland, and that's, that's something that you do when you're tired of touching your cousin is make a pie floater. So, ah, well, good Lord. my family do live in Tasmania. No, they don't. Yeah, they do. <laughs> okay, how wonderful you say your family. It's, you know, 16 cousins, only one tooth, you know, six fingers, one hand, and it's all the one person. And they're married. Yeah, I know. The best bit is they're British. They chose to move there. Yes, they did. Oh, we get a lot of that. We get a lot of that in Australia. It's just like they took Devon, cut it off and shoved it on the other side of the world, including the inbreeding. Oh yeah, the inbreeding, and they added a little bit of genocide just for spice. But they got the Tasmanian Devil, so that's cool. Well, they do, but they don't have Tasmanian Tigers, uh, you know. Also, my brain went to the third thing that they don't have there, but it's it's too early to uh, sort of discuss uh, the full effects of colonialism. I mean, there really is so much to discuss there, but also, you move to the UK, you can't escape yeah. colonialism. Well, well, I've also just realised that your um, your show is called Under Consultation. I thought it was Under Consolation, and I thought this would have a more therapy-edged vibe to it. Uh, no, no, no. The podcast <laughs> just usually leaves people needing therapy. Oh, good. Well, yeah, that's on Wednesday. I'm fine. Also done via a Zoom call, so that's nice, because I'm rocking things 2020 style. So, you've mentioned video games already. We've already talked about the darkroom. Mm. What is your history with video games? Where did you start playing computer games, video games, little electronic things that go bleep and bleep? Oh, they they were things that you would find, like, when when my parents would go out, because my dad was a priest, so we were forever going out to, like, friends' houses or, like, parishioners' houses, and it, and it was a thing. It would be like, oh, well send the boy to the computer room. And then, yeah, there'd be this screen and something would be happening. And, like, I I only realised years later when I was reading Retro Gamer that I'd played Commodore 64s and I'd played Ataris and I'd played Amigas. Mm. I, I, made, I used to make stuff on Acorns when I was a kid. I, you know, I had to make animation programs. But, yeah, like, the first games that I really remember are things like, it must have been, like, like Rambo 3 on the Commodore 64 and um, uh, the New Zealand story. I mean, that that's two opposite ends of the gaming spectrum. Oh, absolutely. Abs- well, that's, that's the thing. There was no censorship of these things. The first night that I saw a Mega Drive, I saw Sonic the Hedgehog and Mortal Kombat the same evening. Amazing. And, and, and all it was was just, oh, well, there's a bunch of 15-year-olds over there. I would have been, oh, it's 92, so I would have been seven or eight. And they just went, oh, well, you know, 
we're all having a party. We just put all the kids together. <laughs> and it was great. You know, you're a kid and you're seeing this, you know, Sub-Zero rips off a man's head and it's very funny. And then, of course, Sonic ran around, which I loved. And um, mm. very shortly, about two years after that, my parents got me my uh, my Sega Mega Drive 2 with my... Uh, copy of um, Sonic 2 and Toe Jam and Earl. Nice. Setting off an absolute love for uh, RPGs that don't really, you know, that have very shallow mechanics and video games you can play by skipping most of it. My favourites. So that's one key aspect of your career, video games. Yes. That's how you got started with video games. What about the other key aspect of your career, which is comedy? Where are your comedy origins? Well, um very similarly placed uh to the gaming uh because i used to go (laughs) like this is this is what i am i am like a suburban kinky nerd and Mm -hmm. i hope that that relates to like 90 percent of your crowd because i think it it definitely relates to mine um but yeah i would go the first because i i went to an all boys school for a while until you know my parents realized this was a great mistake because i was just you know they the the boys enjoyed rugby and a new sport entitled pound the shit out of john so i got sent to a um a school with girls and the first girls that i met were like oh you're weird um we've got some other weird friends do you like anime and i'd never heard it pronounced i'd only ever seen it written down so i was going anime you mean anime (laughs) Yeah, I, I guess. I thought, you know, I thought it was called manga, like everyone did at the time. I get taken to this anime club, and that's where I spent my weekends for a couple of years. Just me and my little bisexual friends watching shows in a language we all wanted to speak with subtitles that had all the translation notes, and it was just really fun. And then there was a really nice uh, girl there called Mel, uh, who became my best friend. And Mel Tregoning uh, is sadly passed now, but she was a phenomenal illustrator. Like, really cool. And what she would do is during the dinner break, she would watch me entertain my little friends because I was just jumping around, you know, making stuff up, doing mm-hmm. improv and stuff. And on my and it's quite lovely. On my first day of uni, uh, I'm standing in line for a graphic design course I'd been mistakenly enrolled in. And she's behind me in the line. And she greeted me with, your name is John. You are very loud. <laughs> and... um yeah, and, and off the, which a very good summary. Those are two things that anyone who knows me knows. Yeah, she she thought I should do stand-up, and in an effort to impress her, I did. And then I just stuck with it. And yeah, I, she she really loved what I did. It was a lot of fun, and that's where it, it came, you know, it came out of a desire to impress a girl, which is a, a really good reason to do a lot of things. Are you world-stopping talent? Yes. Let's see it. Mum and Dad and Denny saw the passing hour parade at Puckapunyal. It was a long march from cadets. Oh, well, everybody's heard about the bird, 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 San Francisco in 1952 was a good place for children everywhere. I hope you all visit it sometime. Thank you. John, does it get a bit hectic being here? So one of the earliest clips I found of you online oh, yeah. is, I think it's posted on your own channel, oh, yeah, which, oh, yeah. is your appearance on Australian Idol. Yeah, that's how I met my wife. Yeah. Like, how would you describe your act on Australian Idol? Because I've watched it. Yeah. 
And other than screaming therapy, I'm not quite sure how else to bring it about. What was your thought going into it? Well, I, I mean, I suspect that once again, Mel is correct. His name is John and he is very loud. What it was, I thought, well, okay, it's called Australian Idol. All right, I'll um, wrap myself in the Australian flag. That's fun. I'd been watching Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, so I'd heard the song Surf and Bird, which is really stupid. Yeah. And there's a song called God Help Me, I Was Only 19, which is this really sad and, and turgid Australian war song. And I thought, what if I got up and I sing the sad war song in a really mediocre way, and then I just have a yeah. fit and just throw myself at the ground doing Surf and Bird? And it, it got exactly what I wanted. Which was it got a lot of attention. They must have must have played that on TV about twelve times. I was in a McDonald's commercial off the back of that. Amazing. Yeah, I didn't get paid or anything. They just used the footage. Like oh, I just that, jump in the air. That's bull. Oh, no, but I, I jump in the air and then it just says John's loving it. Like great. <laughs> it was really fun. And yeah, like I, I mean, to cut a long story short, my wife uh, was in a hospital bed. She'd had a terrible car accident, and she watched the first episode of Australian Idol and. Um, saw me and went, I'd like to meet that guy. And uh, a few years later, we did. And she was bloody delighted, and so was I. Very much possibly my biggest and only fan from that appearance. So I think it's one of the judges that says, like, is it exhausting oh, being is, is you? Is it hectic being you? Which, yeah, to yeah, be that honest, was it. is a cracker line. Yeah. That is, he was a funny man, and they were all they were all very nice people. I found out years later, um, because I got called in, like, I mean, I've been a broadcaster and a comic for 20 years, right? I can do I can do a lot of stuff. But back when I couldn't maybe do so many things, I would sometimes get called in for auditions I was very badly suited to. And I got called in, um, <laughs> bearing in mind, at 17, I'd gone and pranked Australian Idol, right? At 19, uh, what happens is this... Um, very mainstream FM radio network in Australia, right? They want a new breakfast host. And they go to one of the comedy promoters, go, we need somebody different. And he goes, well, who's the most different guy I know? Oh, they send me. Now, the interview was at nine in the morning, right? I hadn't seen nine in the morning since I was <laughs> at school. I rocked up in a black trench coat. This is in the middle of summer. In a black trench coat with thongs, right? So... You know, flip flops, but yeah. also a G string as well. I was a, I, I was a hot boy. I was having a nice time. Of course, I was wearing a Pixies T-shirt. Right, I, I had failed the interview before they put me in the booth, but they let me do it just to see what would happen. Uh, over the course of the interview, the following things happened. The guy greeted me with, "Who are the Pixies?" I went, "They're a band," and spat that out with all of the pretension of a 19-year-old in a trench coat. And he looked at me like, we're in a commercial radio station. We'll tell you who a band is. Then they'd written down the names of some people and they went, how would you describe them? And I just said suicidal for all of them. <laughs> so that was good. Um, I then, and this wasn't, I wasn't trying to be a dickhead. I just was out of my element and didn't know what to do. I fell asleep on the guy's desk. I was super <laughs> tired. I'd been up all night. Fell asleep. They put me in the booth. One of the women who became a presenter had been on the series of Australian Idol I'd been on. And I thought that this would be a great way to start a friendship. And I went, I was on Australian Idol. And she went, which one were you? And I went, bad, bad, bad. The bad is the word. And she leant forward and just went, you gave the judges nightmares. And then the next thing we just hear is three, two, one. And we're on air for the audition. So I, I mean, those judges need to grow the f up if that's going to oh, give them nightmares. They were 
they were fine. She was just <laughs> around. Ah, we, gotcha. We okay. found that out later. Well, the, the thing is, one of the judges, the world's very, very small, yeah. <laughs> right? What, I, I won't explain, but like mm. in the end, it's six degrees of separation. So I've heard over the years, like, oh no, you tell John we loved that, you know, or like I did. I turned up once again, and what? And Mark Holden greeted me with "you again." So <laughs> you know, they know, they know. Also, one thing that you can't see in the clip, which is genuinely fucking lovely, uh, is that Mark Holden, who's the floppy head guy in the end, who seems to be having the best time because he has the facial expression of an adult who is, you know, humouring a child, which is what he's doing, he just turns to me and he goes, John, you've had your fun, piss yeah. off, <laughs> which is very knowing. I, I mean, any of those Idol series are nothing without those moments, you know? Mm. If everyone who came through the door was there to take it 100% seriously and they were like, I want to win Idol with this act, the show would yeah. never have taken off. No, not at all, because that that's not what it's for. You know, it's... It's there to take some people who are probably already professional singers, craft hopes and dreams that people can graft stuff onto, and then take the most commercial person they can find and make a million bucks. But mostly it's also just for exploiting people like me who would like to go on the television for whatever reason. I mean, hey, it it worked out in your favour and theirs. Did it ever. Yeah, I mean, quite noticeably, you know... (laughs) No no television station in Australia ever came calling again. (laughs) I mean that's actually that's actually not true. Um, a couple of times, a couple of times we've had really nice. My my list of Australian TV appearances is great. There's an in-depth interview where I just tried to see how many words that were a bit like I could sneak in. So my mother was horrified. I was just there like, yeah, screw. I'm just you know just doing all this stuff. And mum was a bit like, nah, it's a bit embarrassing. And then there was a break. Uh, there was a breakfast TV one where yeah that would that was a lot more fun <laughs> that was enjoyable yeah I, I i may have implied that i was sleeping with the world's richest woman gina reinhardt <laughs> and when i say implied i mean actively stated that mm. was fun my segment was terminated pretty quickly as i remember so a uh, friend of the podcast you've actually been on his yeah. show paul rose mm. uh mr biffo yeah, yeah 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 he managed to get the word Hadouken! into his standards did he yeah he's not proud of it he should be. Oh, I managed to get, um, this isn't any, how did he do that? Uh, he gave the line, I think it was to Dirty Den, but he basically wrote the line where Dirty Den had to say the word, Hadokendable. Oh, very good. And he wrote it in the sentence structure where I think the actor could only read it a certain way, particularly with his inflections. And so the emphasis was on Hadokendable. Brilliant. This this isn't in the same league, but um, root in Australia means <laughs> Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I snuck that into Video Game Nation. I was very happy with that. Which is why there's a very confusing moment where I talk, I'm talking about Skyrim. And I go, the trouble with third-person action adventures is someone's always running up to you and telling you to go to the other half of the world to go and find an enchanted route. I did. I married her. But a You know, not bad. I haven't seen that episode yet, but I'll, I'll be watching out for it. Oh, there's there's a few. There's, um... Because, like, I don't know. Like, when, when we do talk about Video Game Nation, my... The thing that I liked the most is because we had two time slots. You know, we had a Saturday morning time slot, and but that was repeated again at 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday. So I took it upon myself to make a show that could conceivably be enjoyed by children and by stoners and truckers and, you know, people just on their way out to go clubbing. And and it worked. You know, like, the the only time we ever heard a complaint uh, from the network about me 
was when we did what was it? There was an esports episode uh, where I'm doing some I'm doing live casting, and someone gets shot, and you can see me. You can hear me just go, "Look at the eyeballs ooze out of that little boy's face!" Right, <laughs> and th- this was a bit strong. And then the time that I uh, went. Oh, I need this game like JFK needed a hole in the head. Boom, boom. Tool. Those were the only two times. It would have been fine at 11 p.m. It was at 10 a.m. Yeah, but they did, they put them out anyway. Oh, <laughs> you know? so they didn't actually cut them. They just never. put... Oh, okay. No, they, ne- they never cut anything. We would just get a kind of, oh, naughty, naughty. You know, like no one ever worried. No one ever complained or watched it. <laughs> I don't get sense. Like the stuff I want on social media or on YouTube at all, except for Instagram, because it figured something out. No, it is. <laughs> Boobs and no punchline, I'm f- dead. That's half my act. No! Oh, you don't know which half, my nipples are very prominent. <laughs> So, other than cussing and presidential assassinations, how would you describe your general style of comedy? Like, when you're out there doing stand-up, because I've not seen you do your normal stand-up live. I have watched the sets you posted on YouTube, and yep. they terrify me. Yep. His name is John, and he is very loud. Um, yeah, I what, what I like to do is I riff. I riff with a crowd. I only play with people who want to be played with, and that's it. You know, I show up. I, I play a version of me that can exist for 20 minutes. He's a high-octane guy having the time of his life, you know? Do a lot of jumping, a lot of leaping, a lot of pradfalls, a lot of impressions, a lot of improv, you know? I've got, like, five standard jokes. If I find myself using all five of them, I wasn't there that day. It's a great thing. I just love to play with an audience. I like, um, I'm more like a clown or a jester or, like, an old-timey Borscht Belt comic, you know? Deranged rock and roll psycho, you know? Or the drunkest man in the room. There's a a hint of Lenny Bruce to you. Oh, you're very kind. Yeah, I mean, I went through this whole phase where I kind of obsessed over Mm. Lenny Bruce. It's because I went to see Eddie Izzard in the play Lenny. Oh! And yeah, this was back in the late 90s, and it was a really, really good play. Izzard was really, really great and got balls naked and curled around a toilet. Mm. Oh, wow, brave. So that was an early awakening of bisexuality (laughs) for me there. But one of the sets I watched, and it just leaps to my mind, it was a Brighton mm. set. And according to what you said when you got up on stage, you went to Hove accidentally. Yes, yes. And therefore had to walk. Yes. And there was an edge of danger to you from the moment you were on stage. And yet someone still decided, I'm going to heckle this guy. Mm. This seems like a good idea for me to do on a Friday night. And at that point, I remember turning to my partner and going, if I was given the option of walking in front of a bus and heckling this man, I would go for the bus. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it it does kind of feel like suicide by comedian. <laughs> it just doesn't feel like a wise idea to pick a fight well, with you. Well, th- th- yeah, like I don't... When when somebody does that, mm. as, as long as they understand that the social contract is they get one. They get one go, yeah. right? Yeah. They get one go... And if what I say or what I do gets a big laugh, then that's it, right? I have no irritation with that because I don't have a plan anyway. So I'm just like, oh, okay, new bit of content, you, no trouble for me, right? If, however, they keep going, I'm then sort of beholden to the crowd to sort of either destroy them, right, which I can gladly do. If they just want to play, I'll play with you. If you're being a dickhead, I will start doing other things and security will remove you. Right. But sometimes it's just, okay, sure. 
People would sometimes think that hecklers are being mean or that they're really upset. That's the rarest kind. Mostly a heckler is just a person who's a bit excitable, who's kind of overextending themselves. And you're just kind of saying to them, hey, buddy, I want you to understand it's going to look like I'm drowning you, but I'm actually the lifeguard pulling you back into shore. Now, don't f*** with me because there's a lot of sharks there and I'll f***ing throw them to you. <laughs> you know, that's right. Not you to them, them at you. That's how strong I am, right? That sort of thing. Like, I think in the Brighton one you're talking about, you do see a guy who is actually being a dickhead. He doesn't like what I'm doing and he doesn't he doesn't understand that it's a game for the crowd and he doesn't realise that we're all having fun and I'm having yeah. fun. Yeah. And so because he's actually been quite serious and being a dickhead about it, that's why we really go him for a while. Because you can also see his partner is looking at him like, why are you doing this, you joyless <laughs> swine? Like... Please, you know, because also one thing about me on stage, people figure out fairly swiftly. It's like, yeah, that guy's dangerous, but also he's just being silly, you know. Like if you ever if you ever see me going at somebody and I think they can't take it, you you'll actually be able to see, right? Just this, I'll I do a lot of leaning over, just going, is that like that? It enough? And if they go, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. I find something else to do. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. I, I mean, even like uh, just to briefly skip to the dark room, yeah. the Guardian, mm. like when you're looking for people to play, if you see someone that yeah. you want to play and they're just like, no, you're just immediately cool, fair enough, fair yeah. move on. That, well, that's it. And well, that's, that's the thing you figure out. And you figure out through long experience. There is that moment where you go, all right, <clears throat> the person who's got their arms folded, okay, are they not enjoying themselves or are the seats just uncomfortable? Are they a bit tired? Are they really enjoying themselves? I, at one point, at one point, I went through a phase where I was looking into the face of what were clearly highly intelligent women in their mid-30s who would be looking at me in a sort of like smirking but not laughing, arms-folded way. And at one point I thought, oh God, maybe these people aren't enjoying what I do. And then I was like, how do I sit when I'm watching comedy? Oh, like them. What, what do all of my friends look like when we sit and watch comedy? We sit and we smirk, you know. They're, they're finding what they want to find in it. And they're also being quiet because I'm just transparently a lunatic, you know. <laughs> they're like, you know, they're sitting there like, oh, I'm having a really good time. Don't perceive me, though, please, John. You know, it's lovely. Things have changed. The time has come to play the dark room. Who will be first? You there, the one who flashed their phone. What is your name? Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Liam Smith. That's and you had to think about it. <laughs> and it was apparently the person next to you got that kind of lazy schizophrenia, have you? The one where you can't remember which multiple personality you have? Ah, uh, Liam Smith today, maybe. Now. You awake to find yourself in a dark room. Pick an option, boy. Because it's dark and a room and you're awake in it. So to bring it around to the dark room, like yes. the origins, the beginning of the dark room, am I right in thinking that this kind of started as a way to fill time at a convention or as like kind of a time filler? Very close, very, very close. It was an accidental time filler. It was a five-minute routine about how crap text adventures used to be, which, yeah. regardless of whatever pangs of nostalgia anyone who heard that statement have, they were demonstrably bad, most of them, especially if you're a child and you have no idea. Oh, look, I, I wasn't 
I was 28 when I figured out that you could map them. <laughs> you know, I thought that was somehow against the rules to write something down. See, I knew you could map them. I could just never be. Yeah, good. There's very, yeah, very little um, impetus there to actually try to survive. Um, but yeah, I, I had this little routine and I was doing my show Dragon Punch at a big anime convention called Wycon, which I, I really loved Wycon. I used to host the cosplay there and it was, they used to pack out the Perth Convention Centre in, in Western Australia. It was really beautiful. And that was, look, that audience is everything I think about a heckler because excitable weeaboos, you know, just excitable nerds yelling stuff at you. And at one point it did get a bit much. So I sat down on stage and just went, hang on, well, let's just... Because I was doing a show I'd just done at the Edinburgh Fringe and it had won an award at another, at another comedy festival. So this was in 2012, the best thing I had. And I just thought, well, out of desperation, they like video games. I like video games. Let's do that new bit that I've got. And I started pretending to be a video game and they started playing the imaginary video game in earnest. And so what was meant to just be a bit of improv took 45 minutes. And then I come off stage and we're all standing around going, gee, that bit's good. Gee, that, I think that bit will be all right. Then a friend of mine goes, you should probably put that on YouTube. And I go, all right, and I make a little interactive game. Then that goes a bit well. Then another friend of mine goes, you know that Edinburgh fringe you always bang on about liking? We'll, uh, we'll just make you some software so you can make this game. You should probably go do that as a live show. And I did. First day we ever did that was day one of Edinburgh Fringe 2012, The Dark Room. Performed it to an audience of four people for 20, 20 minutes, right? And my wife uh, made me do it. My wife went, no, no, come on. You know, don't, just just go, just do it. And when it was done, bearing in mind, I'd been doing comedy nine years by that point, right? When those four guys had left, both of us were just standing there going, oh, this is about to be the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> and And it was. And like, it's just a silly idea that's grown and grown and grown over the years and is now 11 years old. That's the story of that. There are obviously a number of different ways that people can play the darkroom, or there were. I mean, there was YouTube. But I think I'm right in saying that at least one version on YouTube was completely bollocks by YouTube just doing away yep. with an entire facet of their infrastructure. Yeah, once they got rid of annotations, uh, that was the end of that. Yeah. I hated them getting rid of that. I thought that was one of the stupidest things they've done because it lent itself to creativity so yeah. well. Well, they don't care about creativity. They care about watch time. Yeah. You know, this, this in the end, is the problem. Like, the early days of any platform is when all the fun experimentation happens. Then that becomes solidified into what does an algorithm want, you know? What are the tastes of the company that runs this? It's very annoying in that way. But when you get in when at, at the period where it feels freeing and people are doing experimental work, that's where you'll always find me. You know, I, I love that stuff. But not, not, like, not, not to be too serious, a, a mate of mine did catch, he cached all of them, and that version is playable on a website somewhere. I can't quite remember where it is, but that, that still exists, the, the original. The 2016 version's gone. Uh, you can't get that really anymore. You can see the opening, but the rest doesn't work. Uh, the Darkroom game on Steam is still sitting there with an hour of content out of three hours done. Uh, that's available for purchase at any time. That's a lot of fun. People yeah. people really like that one. Yeah. I, I streamed it on Twitch. We had a great time. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's Yeah, I, I was very proud of that. Unfortunately, um, indie, indie development is, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. It's no, such a no. hard slog. And the, the people who worked on that were really nice and really talented, but... Um, yeah, unfortunately, they just their company shut down, and so 
I'm now, I've spent the last few years, I've got a little team and we're just walking around, you know, just we're working together on the project, getting a new pitch together for a rebuild and we've got some studios who like it and now we just need publishers and we're all just having a chat. We'll get there. So out of the different ways people can play it now, I guess seeing you live in person or catching a live YouTube or Twitch stream, which do you find the most creatively satisfying and which do you find the most technically satisfying? Because I imagine there's different levels of enjoyment to come from the two different ways of presenting the concept. It completely depends because I used to get asked that question a lot during the pandemic uh, when I was really going hammer and tongs on Twitch. For me, it's kind of the same thing. Like when you do the show live, you can feel the roar of the crowd. You can hear them. You can you can smell their mood. You know, you can do all mm. sorts of things, right? Yeah. But if you, for instance, as I have, which was really nice, if you do like a big charity stream and you end up on Twitch Global front page, right, and you see the chat moving, right, you understand the equivalent of, oh, shit, this is killing. You yeah. Know, this, yeah. this is working. This is going on. The difference is the scope of the map that you can use. Because, like, when I did the show, well, the touring version of the show has a map that's what I find is good for a live crowd. Like, this is the experience. These are the new bits that we add in. There's some modular stuff, right? This is the stuff for the most laughs, the most enjoyment, and still there's a way out, right? Whereas when we, because we've done the show and I, my whole body rejects the statement I'm about to give you because it remembers <laughs> me doing this. On three different occasions, we did marathon versions of the show that went for between 48 and 50 hours. Jesus. On and whilst we never got medical advice to stop doing that, my whole body now almost goes into shock mm. <laughs> remembering yeah. and just goes, that will never happen again. But the amount of fun that I had making the 50-hour versions of the maps, right? Oh, my Lord. Like, the um, the, the best part of the last 50-hour thing that we did, other than the, the money for the charity and just the sheer thrill that was two days of a rolling party in my house as all my, you know, streamers and comedians and cabaret singers and all this are coming in and people are ringing in from all around the world, right? was the i think the monday after when i got on twitch and went all right who wants to see how to win and i took them through the map and the thing was i'd just been playing a load of god of war and in the first two god of war games the games are cyclical yeah right all so i had built cyclical and also time-based prompts so you had to be playing at particular times to see a particular thing that wouldn't have otherwise been there which then was connecting to something that people didn't realize was connected but if you'd picked that thing at that time we would have gone to that version so we had the dark room we had the dark lighthouse which was an expansion people just thought i was just doing something different it's like no no it was all connected a weeaboo area that just looked like I was being a cat person and weird shit was happening. But all of that was connected. There were three different areas that if you'd solved the puzzles at the right times, would have unlocked the ending. And that filled me with great joy that one, we did that for 50 hours, and two, did anyone get anywhere near the solution? No, they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) My favourite bit of game design, which is contrary to all good game design, is they didn't get anywhere near the thing that we needed them to. Good. Did they still enjoy it? Perfect. See, you talk about the origins of the Darkroom to do with text-based adventure games. And also, I know for a fact, fighting fantasy books. Because Ian Livingston came to Fringe and played the Darkroom. He did. That must have been a trouser-loosening moment. (laughs) 
it was a, a trouser tightening moment is what it was. I, I boom, mean, you know. front and back, I guess, different areas. Yeah, I, well, you know, I rolled for stamina. Um, <laughs> he was great. He, um, In terms of the start of a friendship, uh, in terms of a great opening line, his one is right up there because he, he walks in and he goes, Hello, my name's Ian. I invented the thing you're parodying, <laughs> which is a fantastic thing to say. And um, we got him to play and he, he did very well. You had to hand it to him. He did very well. And every time we've had him play, he does very well. He doesn't get anywhere near the end, but he tends to survive longer than most people. Which is good. I mean, he spent his career torturing children, like, yeah, like yeah. literally well, I mean, in the literature sense. Oh my God, he should be in the Hague. Like what he does no, in his he, personal time. Great. I mean, he absolutely knows. We've um we've done live fighting fantasy shows together mm. a few times where I'm the player character and he's the narrator, and he he enjoys that a lot. Um, you know, he really for for all of the times the dark room has killed him, he really gets his own back. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been killed by a lot of goblins. I, I did a fighting fantasy playthrough. I can't remember which book it was now, but I did it on the Twitch stream. Yeah. And this was during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It was with a bunch of our listeners playing. And I'd got kind of a dual camera set up so people could not only uh, see me reading, but they could see the book, they could see the dice, they could see the paper. They knew I wasn't f***ing with them. Good. But what I hadn't fully appreciated is they were going to fuck with me. Now, look, you have my 100% sympathies because we, we found that when I was uh, doing dedicated darkroom streams just for Twitch. So not the live show, but just doing it directly there. I thought it would be good to put in a bit where it was possible, because I've got this um, beautiful... For a large number of complicated reasons, I was sent an American entrenching tool you know, one of those <clears throat> one of those shovels that you can use to slice a man's head open. Yeah. yeah and yeah. a bunch of rubber ducks, right? Okay. And be- because the shovel's black, I was able to hide that on screen pretty well. And so there was the option that you could pelt the Guardian with rubber ducks. So I was just, you know, emptying this shovel of rubber ducks onto my head. Now, what I didn't realize is I'd built a loop in where it was possible, you know, for the crowd to go back and just do it again, which, of course, uh, became all that they did for a load of time. So, of course, what you've got is it's just a man who thought this will only happen once. The ducks fall, they go everywhere in a darkened room, then they make it happen again. So a lot of the stream was just off, just me off camera. Fine. Yeah, we did it. Is that what you... Again, fine. It's a living. Nothing wrong with that. Right. You will be the final down. What is your name? It's, um... Sam. Sam. So not even the star of your longest adventure, just Elijah Wood's little friend. Fine. You will be known as Ringbearer, Darren. <laughs> we all do, but yours is the shiniest. Here we go. <laughs> Ringbearer, Darren. All together. You awake to find yourself in a dark room. Go, my love, quickly. Go north. You proceed in the direction you believe to be north. How can you be sure you're in a dark room and you are impaled through the skull by Mr. Spike, the tenant's meat spike who lives in the wall? You die! You die! You die! You die! It's the first death of the show brought back again! Right? Friend! Oh! Hey! Would you like a copy of Beethoven's Third on DVD? So just thinking about this, and you've talked about creating the different maps for the 50-hour versions with time-sensitive loops, which, I'll be honest, is actually way crueler than text-based adventures ever were because they weren't complicated enough to be that devious. 
The sort of stuff you're bringing up is the sort of stuff I expect from like Deathloop or as we talked about on the episode earlier this month, Majora's Mask. You know, it's all about getting that time sensitivity. But with the basis of there are a maximum of four options on the screen, sometimes less. What is in as close to a standard version of Darkroom as possible at this point of time? What is the smallest number of moves someone could complete the Darkroom in? At the moment? Yeah. Ah, uh, to my uh, to my lasting chagrin, um, probably Hadouken. Wow. <laughs> yeah, which is a bit annoying, actually, thinking about <laughs> that. And um, now that I've said that, I know what I'm doing when we're finished. <laughs> it's fine. You got a month oh, until goody. this comes out. There'll be a bit of quick editing there. <laughs> Whoops. Or, you know, I'll censor the number. People will never know. Patreons will know. But the general public, they'll never know. Never. Oh, good. (laughs) And so if someone turns up at a live show and they do it in the number of moves, you're like, you're one of those that support them on Patreon. Well, look, if you suddenly, if if somebody wins the grand and then the next day you've got a new tier on your Patreon, which is one grand, (laughs) I'll know how it happened. How many times have people completed it? Because, like, I know it's been a couple. Twice. Yeah. Twice. Uh both both oh well three times because we let um we let the insomnia audience uh get it last April. Uh, was it a- April or March? Um because we were doing a charity show and that was mm-hmm. really fun. Like it, it it was worth it just because one it's a charity show so you want them no they can't lose at the charity show, right? Yeah. Uh also that means that the charity gets another grand so that's good. And it was fun because I'd put a credit sequence together and I wanted to watch it, you know? Mm, so, yeah, yeah. you know, you get, you get all of that. You get that, yeah, we did it. You know, great feeling. But um, the only two people who've ever won were both comedians. It was in 2012 at the Fringe. They were Brendan Burns, uh, the Perrier Award-winning Australian comic who saw the show 16 times. And Amazing. Stuart Goldsmith, who sat next to Brendan at the last two shows that Brendan was at and just took notes. Ah. So. Which, which really, really does indicate how both of those guys operate, actually. They're both pretty, they're really, they're both really smart men. But Brendan will throw himself at something and Stuart will sit there and analyse it. It's quite lovely. Work smarter, not harder. Mm, mm, yeah. Of course, that was when the jackpot was 50 quid, so we didn't mind so much at the time. It, it is a brave man to be going, yeah, I'll put a grand on the line. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially, like, just to reassure people, because I do sometimes get asked, we do always have the grand. It's just not necessarily on me, you know? Yeah. That would be stupid. Yeah, I mean, Soho on a Friday night with the grand. Yeah, no one wants to get mugged at the gaming convention. No. <laughs> it's no. a little embarrassing. These cosplayers came out of nowhere, officer. They're foam rubber weapons. Oh. Hello, television friend. Hi, Death. High five. Conventional wisdom says that most modern games are huge, sprawling, open-world affairs that rejoice in titles like Call of Metal of Gears of Modern Warfare, Godmother 9, Grand Theft Halo. You know what I mean. Big open-world adventures that rejoice in a colour palette so limited they should probably have just called it Fifty Shades of Grey. Which is not a bad idea, because then the woman who wrote that book could have used the title she'd wanted. Harry Potter and the Goblet of You Want to Do What to My What? But the Darkroom did neatly lead round to Video Game Nation, where you first appeared. I want to say it might have been episode 12. It's an episode that we can't find. It's lost to time. It's episode two. Oh, I'm was in, it episode I'm two? In episode two. Can't see it, can't find it. No. No, it's gone. The YouTube it- archive is episode 21 onwards. Anything yep. before that is like 1960s Doctor Who. It's fucking yep. gone. That's right. We are the Patrick Troughton Adventures wiped. Um, nice. Season Not one, nice. you know, was lovely. I was I was tremendously grateful. 
Season one, that was directed by Simon, uh, who is uh, Simon Longdon, who's a really, really nice guy. And Simon had directed another show for Jinx called Console Yourself, uh, which was they were just getting comedians just to do talking heads about video games. And a lot of the people who were in that series are still working, right? And a lot of them working in games. I'm in that series Beck Hill's in that. Uh, Inel uh, Tomlinson, I think, is in that one. So is Steve. Yeah, we're we're all we're all there just getting interviewed. And I messaged Simon because like I just moved. Like lit, it was beautiful. I had just moved to the UK and had been told in Australia that because I what I was doing was gaming based, that there wasn't anything for me. Right, like the act without gaming was just weird and loud and playful, but no one knew what to do with it other than, you know, I, I, I did a lot of work, but no one was going to put me on TV or anything. And this was when that was still really, really important. And the gaming aspect just meant that they had no idea what to do with me. Um, but I moved to the UK and in the first week of me being here, I see an ad on a little forum, which is they want comedians to come talk about video games on the television. Sure, off I go. I end up you know, on Jinx TV, which is if you've got Sky, it's somewhere in the middle of, of that, you know, somewhere probably probably nestled these days next to GB News and, you know, 24 hours Swedish woman naked bingo or something. Bang babes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know the channel I would stop at before I'd get to me or the Nazis. <laughs> anyway, I did that and then I messaged Simon and went, hey, thanks for that. What else you got, right? You know, because I just moved to the country and I really, really was excited. Yeah. And they went, oh, we're doing this show, Video Game Nation. Why don't you, um, we'll come to you and we'll, we'll talk about Darkroom. And so I had a, a beautiful chat with the original two hosts, one of whom has now sadly passed on. Um, she was very funny and very nice. And then, yeah, after I think... I think in episode four, they bring me in to do a, a segment. Mm. And it, it was just super nice. And because I was doing YouTube content at the time, which <laughs> very 2013 uh, YouTube okay. content, very, ooh, cut to side angle. We, I'm just doing this. It was pretty obnoxious. <laughs> I thought that's what they wanted. So I just started doing that. And then I would read um, the feedback on Twitter and go, Oh, apparently that's not what anybody wanted. Oh, well, better do what comedians do when they're uh, in any way challenged and double down. So, <laughs> yeah, so that went on. And then, yeah, when season one was over, we had a complete revamp, uh, as you know, with uh, Adam Mason, the new director who came on. And my segment was uh, given some structure, <laughs> which, you know. So when you went from like being a guest to becoming one of the uh, listed hosts. Yeah. Not on every episode, but, no, you know, no. on the majority of episodes. Mm. How did your role change like behind the camera over what you were covering, uh, what other people were doing? Where did your role kind of sit? Well, let's see. Once, Sorry, I've just got to get this right in my head. Because season one, I was really a hired gun. Like, I, it, it was pretty much, uh, we need five minutes filled, John, do something, right? Mm. And that was it. It was I, I was a guy with a segment. Pardon me. When Aoife and Dan are aboard, right, that's when we become the three hosts of Video Game Nation. And the remit changed to now you would have an entirely themed episode. Uh, that was season one, episode 21. It did actually start in season one still, because oh. season one was 40 oh, episodes. Is it? Yeah. The the reboot, I think oh. part of the problem is, again, even the first few episodes of that revision are missing. Are they? But the Alien Isolation episode that we did yes. in season one. Really? Episode 35, I think, or certainly oh. in the 30s. Wow, I... 
I didn't know how many of these we made. I mean... Yeah, you actually got to reboot the show midway through the first season. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow, even Star Trek didn't get to do that. I mean, for some of them, I bet they wish they could. Sometimes, yeah, my lord. (laughs) I I love Star Trek. It's my favourite thing, but I've gotten halfway through Mm. the first episodes of almost every season, and you just sit there going... The show that this is won't be the show that we've got an episode two, and we should all be grateful for that. Good God. Anyway, okay, so yeah, when when the reboot happened, it would become, you know, it was divvied up along the lines of, John, you'll host this episode, right, and it's on this game, or it's on this theme. So write us an intro, write us an outro, and, you know, a bit of a feature, and then the others would have, you know, would do a segment, right, or a Talking Heads thing. And then that would just get rotated. So it would it would be a lovely thing. Like me and Dan uh, both conceivably could have hosted the um, the wrestling show. I got to host the wrestling show, which I was very pleased by because I'd done some wrestling and so I got to do it again. Uh, that was nice. Dan also might have just gone, ah, I'm slightly smarter than John actually and I don't need to be injured. So just let it, he'll, he'll be excited by doing that. <laughs> but if they'd let Dan list the top 10 uh, wrestling games ever made, it would have actually been a more definitive list instead of just things I enjoyed when I was 15. <laughs> but yeah, I, well, one thing that I really did enjoy is that when, um, when Adam Mason came aboard and Dan and Aoife, because uh, Aoife, who's now gone on to a fantastic career in modern games journalism, yeah, both of them uh, really, really looked at games from a cultural standpoint, right? They were looking at games as art, mm. you know, where they sat in the industry, where they sat for the consumer, where, you know, what what various symbols meant in games, you know, like what we were talking about, just li- really games as part of society. And I was, of course, sitting over here going, top 10 retro bonobos. <laughs> but what, what really tickled me is, of course, this is, what I'd done my degree in. My degree was in communications and cultural studies. So when they started doing this, I was like, okay, by the time we get to my episode, I'm going to be essentially writing a third-year essay again. Okay, I think we can do it, but also make it a bit silly. Um, And yeah, it was a really, really enjoyable just a thing to do. It it solidified, you know, it it had its format, it suddenly had its feel. And I would come in, like, in terms of the actual production schedule, I, they'd bring me in once every two weeks to record my segments, and either we'd do a half-day shoot or a full day and just get two or three episodes in the can. If I was presenting a full episode, that would be one full-day shooting. So we do, you know, so I'd, I'd be in there two, three times a month, and, yeah. What was the actual production turnaround like for an individual episode? Because the one we talked about earlier this month was Majora's Mask 3D and the launch of the new Nintendo 3DS. <laughs> and it went out on the 14th yep. of February and the new 3DS launched on the 13th. Yep. So even, and I think Dan said in this episode, he had like the new 3DS for 72 hours before recording. Yep. And so essentially watching that more than anything, I'm just like, man, this has got to be a week. Less than a week? Really? I mean, like what I'm talking about there is like when I would come in, we very rarely it was only in um, really in the de- like in the declining days of it uh, that we would go into the Jinx headquarters to film. Most of the time we filmed at gaming bars in London, mm-hmm. right, uh, or periodically on location, like with the wrestling episode. And usually, like you would be there, and then they would do the, the talking heads in there as well, right? But they're being recorded in a block. So if I'm doing a segment, then I'm recording two segments, which is two weeks worth of content. 
maybe three weeks worth of content so we've got that in the can right if it's something that's up to the minute right i don't i don't seem to recall no i don't think i ever had to do anything that was like breaking news here's this that was more dan and Aoife's remit and something they'd be better suited to i was better suited to you need me to rock up on time and have stuff written and ready to go that you can just you know film quickly and then use and have in the bank that's what I would do. One of the things I've loved about the episodes I've watched, because I feel horrible for saying this, but I missed Video Game Nation the first time That's round. fine. But the thing is, like, for when we did the Alien Isolation episode, and then after that, I'm watching more and more of these episodes going, mm. how did I miss this? Because each episode, it's not even just a case of, oh, here's a point in time where Alien Isolation came out. Here's a point in time where the new Nintendo 3DS came out. It's what you've put around it. Like in the episode we covered, you did your top five time travel games, which, you know, I have notes on. Yep. But that's also because I'm also a time travel science fiction geek. And I'm just like, really? Yep. But also you then had things like they looked at the history of handhelds and you add in your various yep. talking heads going at it. And now when you look back at it with five, six, seven, eight years hence, it doesn't feel dated in the way just a breaking news type show would. It yep. feels, oh, this is a cultural snapshot in time. And I think and I hope, mm. particularly as there are the majority of them available on YouTube, that maybe people that also missed it the first time around will go back and look at them and just go, huh, Rather than going, oh, this is from eight years ago, this is dated, they will see it as that cultural snapshot. Well, they they were all a really astute team. And, um, like, Adam Mason as the director, like, it cannot be overstated what a phenomenal influence he had, right? He, He was the real driving force behind that, behind making the feel of the magazine show that we ended up making and yeah i i i mean that's just a really lovely compliment you know but that's that is what he wanted to make and that's what was made you know it's it ends up being a thing that yeah you can you can rewatch and go all right well here you know and some people on there do have more to say than you know here are the graphics which i had to train myself out of gradually because when i got the job i thought what a fantastic opportunity to talk like all the game magazines I'd read in the early 2000s. How wonderful. And then gradually you go, uh, maybe maybe use the degree there, John. <laughs> all right, we've 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 pleased the inner child sufficiently. Now, quickly. Uh, and also, yes, whilst, um, whilst you're making a point about gender politics, make certain you sneak in some rude words. Good work, good, good. It's all about balance. He's a complicated man. <laughs> what are some of your favourite episodes or segments to look back on, either that just overall or that you were directly responsible for? Like, if you could look back at one segment, one top five, one kind of bit that you did and go, I want that to encapsulate my contribution to Video Game Nation. Well, I mean... Where do you think you'd go? I, oh, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a coward. I like, I like a lot of them for different reasons. There's a particular episode that we shot at what I... It was Loading Bar and it was towards the end. Uh, and I like it because I finally look like I wanted to look on camera. Like, I finally figured out and I was sort of just talking comfortably, you know. I wasn't too excitable. I was just like, it was more like, hey, you guys are back here on my show. Here we go. And I, I like that because I can tell I was relaxed that day, um, you know, and I, that really pleases me. Any, anything that we shot at, I won't name the place. I won't name the place. Uh, I, I get very, very tickled when I see one location. Um, and it's a location where Steve McNeil and I play light gun games, which was the first day... It was the second time we'd ever met, but the first time we ever got to really talk with each other was we were about to go to work. That place I always like, and it's only because I turned up for filming one day. 
knocked on the door because I thought I was late. You know, oh God, Christ, you know, I'm in costume. I'm like ready to go. And the guy who ran that place opened the door having transparently just been asleep on a mattress in his office. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, no worries filming, are you? And he, and he brings me in and I'm standing around going, is no one else here? And Because I'm like an hour late, right? And he goes, no. And I've gone totally to the wrong location. Right? <laughs> and I, I just always remember, he was really understanding about it. He didn't he didn't mind. And he, he was just like, yeah, go, cool, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, could, could you leave though, John? Yeah, like, no worries, dude, bye. That was fun. He was living his best life. It was everything I'd ever wanted when I was a kid too. Like, I, I own the arcade. I live in the arcade. It was pretty wicked. The wrestling one I really enjoyed, um, you know, just for the fact that we did it and it was very, very beautiful to, and fun. Um, but the one the one that I remember the most was the final episode, um, which that, yeah, th- to be honest with you, that's not necessarily my favourite because it was the end, but it's what sticks the most in my mind. It was like we were leaving school, and so to make us happy, they just had Dan, Aoife and I play game challenges against each other. And there'd been a sort of, the, the kind of knock on me was that I'm not actually as good at gaming as the other two, Right. I, I am just at particular things, right? Like we would play Bloodborne, and of course they're like they know what a Souls like is. So do I. But I honey badger games. Like so when it's like let those guys sneak past John. No, attack immediately. And of course it looks like it's working for a second. But in the final episode, uh, we play Gang Beasts. Oh, oh, Dan, Dan, oh, you've treated me roughly. I don't understand why. Hello, sailor. Hello, sailor. Goodbye, no. sailor. I threw you off the Eva Wilson Memorial Ledge. That's me done. Stop hitting me, Eva. How, how do I get? How do Every I pick time you up? he just grabs you, throws you off. Seriously, how do I pick him up? No, it's too late now, Eva. It's too late. And for your hubris, you must go. For God's sake. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you wait a hundred episodes. Hi. As it turns out, I enjoy video games, and I play them periodically. That was fun. Thanks, guys. That was a good game. Oh, oh, I had a really nice time. Well, I guess you guys aren't coming to my birthday then. There's just a really nice shot where my little sock guy picks up both Dan's and Aoife's and drops them both into a machine, and I win. And I actually win the gaming challenge, which is ridiculous, but... It's almost like they had a party game for the guy with the shortest attention span, you know, mm. or like a fighting game because I love fighting games. But it was when um, we were sitting in the office at Jinx uh, and the last thing that I um, I film is me explaining that it's over. And I'm, I was very sad when we did that and you can see it. And so that's what, that's what stands out to me. Folks, this has been a great adventure. For those of you who liked me on here, I do stand-up and I tour all around the world. Come and see me live, we'll have a laugh together. If you didn't like me on this show, come and see me live, we'll all laugh at you. You will be amazed how filthy I am when my content isn't censored because it's 10am on a Saturday morning. How was I allowed to be in this time slot? It makes no sense. Anyway, love to all. And folks, even though we never got a chance to broadcast in high definition, Let's do this one time. Goodbye, television friends. High def, high five. Are they okay? Because I had come to a country, and like, it can't be overemphasized how very much this job meant to me. Like, it was a wonderful thing because I had gone from a country where I'd been barely tolerated to a country where, even though it was an obscure channel, 
And even though, you know, commercial broadcasters are still like video games, what are those? Pac-Man, blip-blop. Um, yeah, it, it meant a huge amount to me. And they let me go on and really just sort of... Not, I didn't necessarily say that, but I did get to go, look, you know, this has been huge and I got to do the la- the silly catchphrase one more time. And yeah, I, I still still kind of upset about it, you know. It was... Um, it was a very nice and honest farewell um, and something that, you know, you wouldn't normally get. If, if we'd been a commercial show, there's no way, you know, that they'd let me, they'd have let me do that. But I, I thought that was nice. And so that's what really, really stands out. I actually just watched that episode yesterday. I huh. was just going through my last notes for the episode that we start the month yeah. with and also going over what I wanted to talk with you about today. And I'm like, let's just randomize those playlists on YouTube. And that episode came up. And when you started giving that speech, I literally stopped what I was doing because you could tell it was heartfelt. Yeah. And, you know, by the end of it, I was emotional. I wasn't kind of T2 thumbs up emotional, <laughs> but I was a bit emotional, kind of somewhere a bit close to that. And also, I, I loved your astonishment at being allowed on a 10 a.m. time slot, you know? Yeah. Given you are normally a professional filth monger. Yes. Well, yeah, it, it was all um, it was all gorgeous. And again, you know, I did more than I ever expected to. And I learned a lot of things and everyone was wonderful to work with. And so, yeah, it, it had meant a lot. It, it, it kept me in stuff I wanted to do. And it kept me out of doing gigs I didn't want to do, which is one of the nicest things you can do for a comedian. I mean, to briefly handbrake turn and go the other direction. Yeah, go on. Was there anything you did for the show that you look back on now and go, Oh. Anything you look at and just go, Oh, that was a mistake. Oh, tons of it. Absolutely tons of it. Like, there, like I, I sometimes I will wake up at night mm. and kind of go, ah, the easy mode in Halo Five's too easy, is it? You bonehead, you know. Like, ah, there, there were some, there were some bits of um, of criticism that I put out where I was just like, you know, either I was under the gun, and so it was first thought, best thought, which normally works, bit of instinct. Some stuff that we walked back on, like I originally, um, I reviewed Kingdom Hearts, uh, no, not Kingdom Hearts, um, Child of Light and Valiant Hearts, um, the World War One side-scrolling game, and I, I thought they were both fairly average, and then I came home months later and my wife was playing them, and my wife is not a gamer, and for her to sit down solo and play and finish two games is huge. And I watched her do all of it. And because there they just hadn't been time. There was time to get to grips and, and really feel like I knew what I was talking about. But no, they, they hid so much depth. And I they deserved better than what I, what I gave them. So on a Christmas episode, I said that and just kind of went, oh, those games are actually fantastic. So thankfully, I got to deal with that at the time aside from that you know there are some there are some jokes that don't land there's some um some things where i'm just like okay i guess that's what i thought was good on the way to the studio on the day or or sometimes it's oh that's the line they let me use you know like because there was some stuff that i'd written that was getting a bit inside cricket so if you see sometimes like the um people are throwing to each other with kind of like little acid put downs or whatever if, if my one comes back a bit weak, it's because the one I scripted got rejected. <laughs> so, yeah. There, there's no way it was just shit. Obviously, the good one was removed. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so there's stuff like that. Occasionally bits where I got it wrong. One thing that sticks out in my mind, and it's only because now I've um, taken my fighting game fandom up a notch, is in the Street Fighter V episode, you can see me get, and I'm very annoyed, very annoyed by Street Fighter V when it came out, and I really was. 
and I was annoyed because it shipped incomplete. Right? Oh, yeah. The the story mode was an embarrassment. You know, there wasn't an arcade mode, so you couldn't just play on your own. It, it was strictly, we got to do online multiplayer. Now, everything I criticized it for, I stand by, right? But it was a very particular perspective. It was somebody saying, I can't play this alone at home and have an enjoyable experience, which is a valid perspective. However, having gotten so much more into fighting, that episode could have been three and a half hours long with what was wrong with it. And I regret that the word footsies wasn't used and I wasn't sitting there going, and they've simplified the moves, goddammit, to no great thing. And also, I couldn't, this happened to me a couple of years ago. Yeah, I got it for five quid. I went, oh, it's worth five quid. Street Fighter Six is coming out. Why not get it for five quid? Discovered that they'd made a story mode and thought, right, here we go. And it was worse than the absence of a story mode. I mean, I still maintain to this day, Street Fighter Five achieved one thing. It made me play Street Fighter Four more. <laughs> yes. And yes. it made me very cagey when Street Fighter Six came out. Mm. Oh, I can imagine. I still haven't got it. I like Street Fighter 6. My only regret is I haven't had the time yeah. to play it. Like when Street Fighter 4 came out for the Xbox 360 every Friday night, online lobbies until 3am, bottle of vodka, bottle of coke, off nice. we go to the races. Now I'm in my 40s. Ah, it's all right. I mean, the, the thing is as well, like when I talk about being like a suburban gamer, right? Yeah. You've got to understand the fighting game experience in Western Australia was this. You played that thing alone at home against the computer until you thought you were really good, and then you went to your friend's house and beat the shit yeah. out of them. The best you could do is maybe you'd meet, like, six other people, right? And so, you know, we all liked games. We all thought that we were good. Then we would get destroyed the second we went online the first time. Or, as happened to me, and I, this made me so happy, I went back to Perth. This was after Video Game Nation. It was after everything. I went back to Perth. A friend of mine ran an arcade. I sat down. I was playing Street Fighter Four, right? With my mate John, who I've played Street Fighter 4 with, John can be easily taken out by jump heavy kick, down heavy kick, loop, loop, loop. And a nice 45-year-old Japanese businessman put a dollar coin down, and I was out of that game in 35 seconds, and that was both rounds. Get out. It was amazing. And it was, it was one of those perfect moments of going, ah, yes, you got to engage with the outside world occasionally, you suburban weirdos. Christ. I mean, my lasting memory of Street Fighter 4 is I was an online troll with Dan. Oh, good on you. I was good enough that I either managed to beat some people or my favourite was when they rage quit because they were getting beat by a Dan player. <laughs> I took that oh. as a bigger victory. Yeah. It was a tick if I won. It was a fucking gold star if they quit halfway into the second round having lost Brilliant. the first. My greatest Street Fighter triumph. Right, this is final year uni. We had a beautiful arcade in the middle of town and I would go there and I'm playing Street Fighter Alpha 3, right? I love Street Fighter Alpha 3 and I would main Ryu, right? And I'm doing that and I get up. I get up and I get up and I get up to M. Bison who of course in Street Fighter Alpha 3 is brilliantly overpowered. I get up to him and he beats me, right? But I didn't know that an ending will play. So I'm looking at that, this this bad ending plays, you can't come back, there's no continues, right? And I thought, no, f*** it. I finished the game and I rang Mel. I rang the girl who got me into stand-up, also got me into Street Fighter. Rang her up, said I completed Street Fighter Alpha 3, and she was quite impressed. And genuinely so impressed that, you know, I hung up the phone and realised I had lied and I hadn't actually completed Street Fighter 3, Alpha 3, so I went back in and did it again until I f had... <laughs> Couldn't tell her for any fucking reason. In her mind, it already happened, but 
I got there, damn it. It would have been more complicated to call up and go, you know when I said I beat yeah, Street Fighter, that. yeah? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Was there anything you ever pitched for Video Game Nation that they just turned around and went, no? No, other, th- other than like some bits of script that were just a bit bitchy, you know, like just, just me having a bit of backstage fun. Or, or like there'd be stuff that just came back where they just went, oh, no, that's just rude. And you know it is, you know, come on, come on, get get rid of that. But no, everything, they were, they were very, very, you know, they were giving, they let me do a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, they sent me to places. They, they were great. I, I enjoyed them a lot. And no, they never, uh, I never had such an outlandish or terrible idea that they just went, oh, Christ, you know, so that was a bit lucky. Oh, although, although I, I did... Okay, again, Adam, the director, not just a great director and very responsible for the um, the look of the show, like the, the high contrast with the shadows and the real saturated colour. Right, he... <laughs> He was, I, I could still like do an impression of him sort of, oh, oh, John, oh, maybe, maybe you don't have to use the phrase vomiting hedgehogs. Oh, oh, there's there just one. Oh. And, and it was worth just having these things that were a bit naughty just to see him do that. Cause he kind of knew I was just messing with him. He was fun and everyone was cool. Um, Joe, who did our makeup was really wonderful as well. She was a wonderful person. And everybody, yeah, everyone was just... We were such a lovely team. Fun. So after Video Game Nation, obviously your career continued. The Darkroom continues to go from strength to strength. It is literally taking you all over the world. Like you're jetting off next month to... I've got to go... Yeah, well, next month there's a ton of places. Um, We're going... We're doing Boston. We've got... We've got Boston, Birmingham. It's all the Bs next month. Botswana. Yeah, Botswana. Yeah, yeah. Burundi. Yeah, you know, I'll just be over there with, uh, you know, once the Rwanda bill's defeated, I'm certain Botswana will be next on the list. No, I, I got I got all sorts of places. I'm out in Perth, Western Australia. I'm doing Worldcon in Glasgow, which nice. I'm very excited by. The world's longest running science fiction convention. Yeah, we're just, we're just everywhere. We got Insomnia. We got yeah, and, and of course I'm on tour as well. So we've got um, where are we? We got your yeah, Sheffields and Manchester, London, Cambridge, Oxford, tons of places. Obviously, this podcast started out as a Games Master podcast. Now, Games Master ran in the 90s and they tried to bring it back a number of times. And then a few years ago, they did. And we were lucky in that we talked to the production team from like day one, day minus one. Ooh. Kian, the showrunner, had a call with myself and Luke an hour before he was going into his first production meeting. Really? Yeah, for some reason, they were just like, who's out there doing Games Master stuff now? Oh, this podcast exists. The first Games Master podcast, still (laughs) technically the only Games Master podcast. But they spoke to us and he was like, who would you like to see? And I regret to say, I think in my head at the time, Mm -hmm. I was thinking outside Xbox because I was just thinking of that Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you? They're great. Yeah, they're the people that you're putting out weekly content on YouTube. But obviously they went in a different direction. And a little bird tells us that you were approached. I was approached. And I can also tell you, without telling tales out of school, sections of outside Xbox were there. They had one big day. One big day that was the test for everybody. They had three people that they were uh, thinking of having as the hosts, all of whom are great, all of whom were super-duper fun, all of whom have gone on to do other brilliant things, whether they're still doing the stuff they were doing originally or they found something else to do, right? All, All great. Yeah, and it was an incredible mixed bag. We were just all sitting around with our um, our complimentary Diet Cokes 
And, you know, I'm there saying hello to guys from outside Xbox and saying hello to pro wrestlers and all of this. And they just tried me out with, um, who, who was I on with? I was on with a, a, a radio DJ and uh, initially and a streamer mate of mine. And that was really fun. And I, you know, I just went, okay, what do they want you to do? And I was like, all right, they want, essentially they want me to be a third voice when people are playing games commentating, right? So I just started slagging off the players, you know, that's it. I'm just heckling them. And then I went, you got any notes? And they were like, yeah, can you be nicer? I was like, yep, fine. No worries. <laughs> like, so, whoop, whoop, whoopsie, poopsie, little early in the day, John, careful, careful. And then um, when when we did the go around again, the next crew that we had was Frankie, who's my mate. And um, uh, Rab, yeah, the, the man who ended up hosting it. Rab Florence. Yeah, Rab Florence. Yeah. So Rab Florence and Frankie, who ended up being two of the hosts, right? And me. I was the, So I made it to there, <laughs> right? And, and that's more a coincidence than anything. But it was really fun because we did this three-way thing. You know, they're playing a game. We do some commentary and all of this. And I walked out and I knew I didn't have the job. And it wasn't a bad thing. I just went, hmm, those two worked really well with each other. They were very giving with each other. All right. I'm listening to these two and selling. as it, And I say selling because, you know, like, let, let's put it this way. When someone says a funny thing on the television and everyone else on the panel laughs, you think they're all super amused? No. No. No, of course they're not. So we're all selling for each other. It's working. I mean, you've laughed at my books yeah. for the past hour and 15 minutes. I'm very flattered. I've been amused the whole time. <laughs> uh, should I believe you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. You can, you can tell when I'm selling, I slap the table. It's like if you, if you ever want to see somebody fake laugh and the second that you know it's false, right, you know it, Spike Milligan. Yes. Oh, the hand going up to the top of the nose yeah. and the wiping away the tears that aren't there. Every time. Classic. He does it to get out of sketches that don't work, and he does it to get the camera's attention when he's listening to someone else talk on interview shows. You see a lot of it on Woken. Yes. Oh, oh, so good, yeah. So, yeah, you get the three of us, and everyone's, you know, everyone's listening to each other, everyone's playing around. But those two those two gelled really well. And when, when it was done, it was sort of like, well, you don't need two dudes saying catty little things, you know? And if the main host is going to sort of do that... And yeah, and works really well with Frankie, who's such a good host, such a fantastic host. I mean, she's been a great friend to us here. I mean, oh. I love Frankie. Uh, when we did our live show last year, she came to the live show, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, sh- there's a level of pressure." No, no, there's no pressure. No, Frankie, Frankie is generous and incredible. And Rab, I've only met once, but he was a nice guy too. But that was it. Like when we were done, I walked out and I was like, "All right, first audition earlier today. Very strong." but not necessarily strong in a good way, strong as in a strong flavour, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second one, I was like, ah, didn't really add anything to the plate there. And yeah, lo and behold, yeah, didn't get the job. But it was a wonderful afternoon and, you know, fun just hanging out with a bunch of people that I either hadn't met or I'd seen a million times or, you know, people who I'd only ever known their names with an at symbol in front of them who were suddenly yeah. just hanging out. And, of course, we all know of each other, which is really helpful. Did you watch the reboot? I didn't get a chance. I think I was out of the country. Oh, cool. Well, it uh, saves me asking you what you no, thought. No, no, I mean, the, the closest thing... The closest thing that I came to seeing the reboot, or, I mean, I've seen some of Classic Games Master. The closest thing I came to the reboot was that um, I liked the promos for a start, but I saw, <laughs> I did um, a, I did a private Zoom darkroom and Dominic Diamond was on mm, as well. Yeah. And so that, that was just really nice because he was like, what do you do? What? And he stuck around to watch it. He was like, this is great. 
He wanted to be the first player. He died pretty quickly. It was funny as fuck. We liked that. So I got my, you know, I got my touching of Games Master. I got my, yeah, sweet, done. Dominic's a weird one because we've interviewed him a couple of times and mm. there's been a couple of times where he's fired us a DM going, did this happen? He's fact-checked with us. <laughs> but I do have this thing of, I love Dominic Diamond now, but I don't think I'd have gotten on with him in the really? 90s. Yeah, but I, and I look at Dom now and I'm like, yeah, he's grown old disgracefully <laughs> and therefore I like Dominic now, yeah. but I don't think I'd have got on with him in the 90s and I don't think he'd have gotten on with me either. Oh, mate, I've, I've watched stuff that I've done and I'm like, I don't get on with whoever this is. I can't stand this man. It, and this happens as well. Like, I mean, in comedy, Christ, the amount of guys that I've met who in the early 2000s were just appalling, obnoxious cokeheads. And now when you meet them, either the first marriage has failed and they figured it out or, you know, they've they've fallen back uh, into being a good parent or they've just sort of become a fully rounded human, you know. Like a lot of, yeah, I used to think of it as, you know, I meet old monsters around the time that they're people again. And it's a lovely thing to do, you know. I mean, they're still talking about bringing Games Master back Good. again. Good. Uh, like Channel 4. Channel 4 have gone, that horse still has a leg twitch. We're still going to see what we can get oh, out of it. they brought back Gladiators. Why not? I mean, they've done a great job with it Because they immediately realised they needed to keep it big, campy, and they need to keep the theme music. I'm so excited. Yeah. Bloody, it's, it's justified the TV licence. I mean, season two, they'll be oh. holding auditions. Oh, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. could give Bradley Walsh a run for his I money. I want a host. I want to be one of the gladiators. <laughs> oh, no. Just being on it as a gladiator. Yeah. You'd give him a run for his money. Him trying to interview you, you'd interview him. That's right. He's five foot eight. He's not athletic, but he'll bite you. Here he is. Thirst trap. Thirst trap. <laughs> <laughs> why why is he only playing with the girl contestants? What's what's going on there? That's a confusing choice. Yes. Moving on. If they did bring Games Master back again, would you go in for another round of auditions? Would you give it another no, swing? Of course I would. No, I mean it the thing is it's um it's interesting, you know, like I love I don't just love video games, I love game shows, right? I can host the f out of both of them. I'd I'd absolutely throw my hat into the ring. I also I understand because it's got a great sense of history behind it, right? But that's a you know that's a nice thing. I appreciate that. It, it it's just one of those things of like, okay, so in the '90s, this was a kind of alternative, slightly dirty, occasionally game show where kids played games and then eventually adults did it. Sweet. I like all of that. Why wouldn't I do that? You know, the only thing that I would bring to that more than anything else would be every pitch meeting. I'd be like. And is there a way that we can physically hurt the contestants? Mm, like, yeah. no, no, seriously. Like, you know, like, can't it be a little more like Takeshi's Castle, the other job that I really want to have? Yeah. But yeah, I, I would love that. And of course, Australians can always be trusted with, you know, great British, you know, franchises. We did so well with James Bond when we had it. So uh, don't worry about that. I could be the George Lazenby of Games Master. I mean, I think at this point, Rab's actually got that title. Oh. Three episodes and done. How how about this? How about this? How about the Paul McGann of Games Master? Yeah, yeah, that works. It will be solved in the audiobooks, mate. <laughs> I mean, hey, he's had a great career coming out of those big Finnish audios. He's done very well indeed, that man. And um, of all of the Doctor Whos that I have met, cannot stand me. Everyone else, very nice. Him, not so good. Really? No, I have no qualms about saying that whatsoever. Every, I do a lot of sci-fi conventions. Every Doctor Who I've met has been nothing but lovely because they, they're like, what do you do? Oh, yeah. 
I, you know, either maybe they've seen the show or they're like, oh, he's going to do some stuff. Or like, Colin Baker's very funny. Sylvester McCoy's danced the time warp with me. You know, people are good, right? But what happened? But it, it was just one of those things where I overplayed my hand in the first meeting. And uh, that's that's the end of that. He hopefully doesn't remember this, but London Film and Comic Con 2018, my wife and I are sitting out the back. We're having a wonderful time because while I was out of the room, Jim Ross, the wrestling commentator, flirted with my wife, and so she's kissing yeah. herself with joy when I come back. Like, John, JR had a go. I was like, really? <laughs> so we're, we're stoked, right? I go, I'm going to go sit with Sam Neill. We and, me and Sam Neill have a little chin wag, and it's a good time. And then we're just looking over at Paul McGann, right? And he's on his own, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to go talk to Paul McGann. I, I, I'm trying to think of something to say to Paul McGann mm. on the way over to him. And I, I remember that a, an actor friend of mine says that she had fantasies about him. And I thought, that's a good thing to say. I said, hello. And he said, hello. And I said, um, my friend, uh, this actor, do you know him? And they went, yeah. And I went, well, they have erotic fantasies about you. And he went, well, well they've never told me. And there was just a look of real, like, outrage. And I sort of went, oh, okay. Like, literally, there wasn't even any, oh, I'm terribly. It was just, right. And I, I went back to the chair and sat down. And I went, well, sh-. I rang up the actor in question later and went, yeah, I'm really sorry. I might have um, gotten you into some trouble with Paul McGann. And they go, what happened? And I went, oh, well, I said that, you know, you have erotic fantasies about it. And I heard the head slap. And they went, wrong doctor. And it was Eccleston, who was also at the table. So I could have could have tried there but he was a lot bigger than me i mean he's quite an intimidating man yeah but at that point to be honest with you i'd already um won i'd already been in the lose and taken a shit next to meatloaf which was a just an experience um and two when i'd walked out of the uh the toilet i had locked eyes with pro wrestler jerry sags of the nasty boys who had smiled at me and that had nearly made me shit myself a second time I, so it was, a, it was a complicated time. It was good fun back there. That was a nice dressing room. I'm trying to imagine what a smile from Jerry Sags looks well, like. Most, he, he doesn't have that many teeth. it's a gap and malice yeah. is what it is. Um, that, that was the thing. And, and the thing was, when he smiled at me, I had said a bitchy thing about him to Billy Gunn about 15 minutes before, and it was the smile of a man who was like, I heard you. It was like, you know, Christ. Nothing, nothing will drive home the fact that you're just five foot eight yeah. shit stirrer more than, oh, I was just joking. <laughs> oh, I love Billy Gunn. Yeah, oh, he's wonderful. And fake laughs like a champion, by nice. the way. Because when I, when I said to him my little bitchy thing, I've watched Billy Gunn fake laugh on the television since I was a boy. He's six foot five. His entire body doubles back, those big American teeth going up in the air. And he did it for me. And I've never felt powerful, you know, more just better. It was wonderful. Beautiful. It was like being Triple H delivering a really crap line in the Attitude Era. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. So other than hopefully more conventions, what have you got on the plate now? Because we already hinted that you're travelling around a yep. bit, but this is going out on February the 29th. Mm. Where can people catch you in the next couple of months? Well, i got a ton of stuff coming out. So um, we've got, after I get back from the Adelaide... Oh, also, this is out in February, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm at the Adelaide Fringe until March the 18th. Then we've got Dark Rooms at the Frog and Bucket in Manchester on the 7th of April. We're at the Leadmill Sheffield on the 14th of April. Staggeringly Good Brewery on the 19th of April. Cambridge Junction on the 21st. Monkey Barrel Edinburgh on the 28th with the Dark Room for Kids and the Dark Room. Then in June, we've got Comedia Brighton, Frog and Bucket Manchester again. We'll also have, um, oh God, London Soho Theatre's got a date in April. And there's a bunch more tour dates that we can't release yet. 
uh, Old Colchester Arts Centre in July. And yeah, then the Edinburgh Fringe will be fairly wild. And then there's a bunch of events internationally as well, though I can't I can't announce yet. But if they want to find those details when they are announced, they can find you online at... You can go to either thejohnrobertson.com and click live date. So you can go to linktree.com slash robotron, R-O-B-B-O-T-R-O-N. John, thank you so much for your time today, for your wit, your humour, your definitely real laugh, definitely no fake laughing going on, and also all the bits that when I listen back in the edit, they're going to make me go, can I leave that in? Ah, excellent. And now now, now you know what it was like for Adam Mason to direct Video Game Nation. But um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a, um, a great pleasure. And also, as I, um, as I, as I told you, well, I've, to- I've told you when I've seen you. I told you on Twitter as well. The fact that there was a Video Game Nation episode really tickled all of us. We don't we don't all talk that often, but the group chat got revived and we were all really, that was very lovely. So thank you so much. I mean, honestly, this is now the second time we've visited the show and I'm sure it won't be the last because, as I said, it's a snapshot in time. And if a month comes up and I'm like, OK, what show aired in this month? Oh, Video Game Nation aired in this month. What have we got? Because we did Alien Isolation because me and Luke both really wanted to talk about Alien Isolation and Ghostbusters the video game, which was, Mm. you know, they were both featured on there. Yeah. And again with this one, as soon as this came up, my co-host Cliff, massive Nintendo 64 person, loves Majora's Mask. And it's like, that's just an easy gimme. Well, yeah, like, I mean, just uh, just sing out. It was... um... Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's nice for that bit of work to be uh, to be remembered. Um, it's very, yeah, really, really appreciated. So thank you, and thank you again to John Robertson for his time. Genuinely, one of the most fun and all over the place and flirtatious interviews I've ever had the pleasure of doing for under consultation. But also, thank you so much to all of you for listening. And you know what? If you could be so kind as to like, rate, review, subscribe on your platform of choice, that'd be awesome. Or, you know, just share us on social media. It would really help us reach a new audience and also reach an old audience who may not be aware that we've moved over to a new feed. Now, speaking of social media, you can also find us on Twitter at UnderConsolePod or if Instagram or threads are more your kind of jam at Under.Console. If you want to talk with us directly, talk with other listeners, other fans of gaming, pop culture, television, all that good jazz that we talk about on here, you can do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found in the show notes. And if you would like to, if you are able to, or if you're in a position to support us monetarily, you can do so over on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash under console pod. Now, at all levels, you get UCP Extra, where we cover period-appropriate bonus content, and Under Console Nation, our monthly community podcast. At the £5 level, you get the episodes early, uncensored, and always ad-free. And at the £10 level, you get all that, and you get to be part of our monthly Golden Joystick Waggler Waffle Calls, and you get to be listed here along with these fine folk. Andrew Greenwood, Arcadia, Wild Bill, Chrissy Two Sticks, Gordon Aitken, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Manga Girl, I Am Cheadle, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe McGonagall, Link Campbell, Mark A, Matty Boo, Misha Sumra, Reese Wynn, Sean Dunn, Selena BN, Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, Tom Dilla McEvoy, Tom S, Will C, and Xanderthal. That wraps it up for this special leap year bonus episode of Under Consultation. We'll see you in March. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>